0: Uh, Good. Uh, It still is morning, so I will say good morning to everyone. Good (laughs) Good to see you. As we get started, I will address uh, this issue uh, in in a minute, and I have a handout I want to give you here. Um, Chapter 3, and if you're following in your notes, it would be on page uh, 4. Here we see in this chapter, um, I want to say this, the very personal nature of Paul's relationship with the Thessalonian believers. He says some things about them here that are, are just really awesome. He thought so highly of them. He loved them so dearly. And he talks about some historic events that uh, remember he is down in Corinth, which uh, you know, Thessalonica is up here in Macedonia. He's down here in Corinth, which would be basically due south. So he's down here And uh, he tells us that, so, verse 1, so when we could not stand it, no longer we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen you and encourage you in your faith. All right, now all he's telling us, and I don't think we need to go into some of the historic details there. But as they were making their way down to Corinth, they're in Athens, and and the the plural there means Paul and Silas, which we we talked about them the very first day uh, that we started this study. He sent Timothy, sent Timothy up to spend time with them. To do what? To strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Now the word strengthen there, as a Greek word, is to... um, To build up, to buttress something, to make it strong by, uh, uh, in building industry, would say reinforcing concrete with steel bars, rebar, you know, to make it stronger, and to encourage you, to strengthen and encourage what? Don't look at me. Look at your Bible. Your faith. Your faith. Now I want you. I want. To, I want to develop this because that, in my view, is one of the major themes of this chapter. Just let your eye go as I as I direct your eyes here. If you're looking in verse two, you see your faith. Let your eye drop down to verse five. I sent to find out about your faith. Down in verse six has brought good news about your faith. Let your eye go to verse seven. We were encouraged about you because of your faith. End of verse 10. Supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, that's five times in this short chapter that Paul talks about their faith. He sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage their faith. He gets news back from Timothy about their faith. He's encouraged because they are people of faith. He wants to help make up what is lacking in their faith. Now, I'm going to give you something in a minute, but it's important, it really is important for us to think here about how the Bible uses the word faith. Um, I started writing it with a light blue pen, so in case you didn't see it, this is the word. about faith Okay, now it's really used primarily three ways in the scriptures Uh, it's used of saving faith which is that uh, the apostle Paul talks about that in Romans when you put your faith in Jesus Christ that saving faith the result is you are justified, you're declared righteous it's a growing, sustaining faith that characterizes our walk with God We would call that part of the process of sanctification. And then thirdly, it's used as the summary of what Christianity teaches, like the Christian faith. And that's the reference to the doctrine, what we believe. Now, in those first four instances, how is he using that to strengthen and encourage their faith? He hears a good report about their faith. He wants to encourage and continue to develop their faith. He's talking about this, isn't he? As we learned way back at the beginning of this study, that these are people that they planted the church there, they put their faith in the Lord. I think the last instance in this chapter is talking about filling in what's lacking in their faith, he needs to continue to teach them some more. But it's primarily this. So I want to I want to distribute this uh, sheet to you. So if you'll take one and just pass it on, please. Um, I want to talk about this matter of our growing or our sustaining faith, which is one of the most important uh, goals, you might say, that God has for us in the sanctifying process. Now, are you all with me in all these words and terms that I've been using? Any questions about that? Suppose I, I think we've asked this before, but let me start with this again. If if you were to write on a uh, an assignment for me, which obviously I'll never do that, or this class will empty quickly if I start giving assignments. But if I were to ask you to do an assignment for me and go back and study the gospel accounts, and particularly focus on Jesus' relationship with his disciples, the twelve. What was the most important objective he had for them? What did he want to develop? Trust and faith. faith. Yeah. How many times did he say to them, O ye of... Finish it. Little faith. faith. (laughs) I mean, he would... You could almost—you can't always read the emotion or the tone of the Lord's voice uh, in in some of the things He says in the Scriptures, but sometimes it's almost like He's frustrated. Oh, ye of little faith! And so He wants to take them by the shoulders and shake them. I have been with you for two and a half years, and you still don't have enough faith to trust me for this. So I think more than anything else, if you, as a teacher, curriculum objective number one in Christ's plan for them was to develop their faith. Because he was going to send them out to change the world. And in order for them to do that, they are going to have to trust him for immense things. So how does God... Develop faith in your life. Last week, uh, d- didn't I do that here? Didn't we talk about some of the some of the words associated with faith, interchangeable words? You're looking at me like a deer in the headlight, so we didn't do that. What What would be some synonyms for faith? I heard somebody say it. Ed, I think you said it. I said trust. Trust, and so trust would be one of them. What's another term, synonym, interchangeable word for faith? Trust is one. Okay. That, that could be a result of trust in faith. Okay. Certainly connected to it.
1: Reliance.
0: Reliance, dependence. Because a faith, a walk of faith with the Lord is a walk of dependence, trust, of reliance on him
2: assurance
0: i think so uh, there's there's a strong strong dimension of assurance uh, of our relationship and position with him anything else discipline yeah to 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 a degree to a great degree i guess really that that is an important aspect of faith a, a discipline related uh,
1: belief
0: Yeah, devotion, conviction. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. These are words that are used in the scriptures and just in our own language that connect with how you think about faith. Um, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says of faith, it is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Faith has an object. The object is God. An assurance of things hoped for. A conviction of things not seen. Assurance, another word for that, could be confidence. So the focus of that assurance, the content of that conviction, is a God of awesome power, a God of infinite wisdom, and a God who is in control of all things. He is worthy of our faith. Also in that same chapter, right after chapter 11 of Hebrews, right after his comment about Enoch who walked with God, he says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So you have all of these just magnificent statements about faith that just resonate well. We like them. We shake our heads. We say, that sounds really good. That's spiritual. food. Amen. But I'm talking about living it. How does God grow it? What I want you to do is take this little uh, chart, diagram, whatever you want to call it. Everybody get it, get around everyone. Um, I want you to think about, because I'm talking about this, (coughs) growing faith. That's what Paul, four out of the five times in this chapter, I think, that's what he's talking about. He's pleased, thrilled, excited that he sees their faith growing. How does that work? Well, God speaks and, and for you and me speaks through his word. He's revealed himself to us in his word. We hear it. And we respond with trust, which leads to obedience. Which then continues to hear more of God. That's why you are coming to a study like this, you are being exposed every Wednesday to what God thinks, what God believes what God is doing, what His plan is, what His purpose is, and you hear it. And one of the objectives of many that God has is that your faith and trust in Him will grow, and as your faith and trust in Him grows, you have a greater capacity and a greater desire to obey Him. I think that is at the heart of what, again, in Hebrews chapter 11, I think it's around verse 6, he says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Why do you think that is the case? Without faith, it is impossible to please God.
2: We wouldn't live the way that we would live if we had faith? In other words, uh, if we don't have faith, uh, we won't please Him, because of the way we're living. We'll be doing things that are
0: contrary to His wishes. Because of this, our trust and faith of him, in Him leads to greater obedience yes. to Him. Yes. And obedience to Him is obedience to our Creator, our Sovereign Lord, who has our best interests at heart, who knows what's best for him, for us. And choosing to obey Him because we trust Him leads to a more purpose-filled, more... Um, personally fulfilling and eternally significant life. And it's, it's, that, it's just that constant cycle that what God is doing in our lives. And you look back over your life, and I don't know how long you guys have walked with the Lord, but you look back over your life, undoubtedly you see that your faith and trust in God is growing. You are trusting him you are therefore desiring to obey him it's hard to quantify something like that but I'll use words of quantification to a greater degree and a greater measure than you did say five years ago and when you are placing a greater amount of your faith and trust in him which leads to a greater degree of obedience for whom are you living your life? for him who's getting the glory he is because you see the one thing that i think was andrew who used the word reliance or dependence as one of the the faith words the more dependent we are on the lord the more we really are doing things in his name and for his glory so that really the bottom line when it's all over is we really don't get any of the glory he does. And so it's that, it's that kind of um, matrix of things that are all interconnected. And the, the real starting point is faith. It's faith. It's faith. And um, I've told you this story before, but this man that I have gotten to know over the years, and after he came to the Lord and all that, he just said to, to me one day at lunch, he just said, I've been leaning my ladder against the wrong wall." And I'm not going to do that anymore. I want to leave my ladder against the wall of, the, of God. And it's changed his life. I mean, it's just it's an amazing thing to have seen what's happened to him over the years. So it is this process that we're talking that this little chart uh, uh, sort of tries to capture, and what we're talking about with the second of these three. This is what Paul is talking about. And as Jesus had the objective to grow the faith of his disciples, Paul has the objective as an apostle to grow the faith of the people whom he's led to the Lord and planted the churches. Because don't forget, and I know we have talked about this many times, especially here like in Thessalonica, these people are living in a cesspool. They're living in in an extremely difficult city. To represent in which to represent Christ. And it's the, the daily tension and persecution, he will talk more about that in just a minute, that they faced. And yet the faith and trust in the Lord is growing. In the midst of all that junk and all that persecution, it's still growing. That's what he's talking about. So you, you got it? I just wanted to anchor us in this discussion so that we don't miss uh, the real thrust of what he means five times, your faith, your faith, your faith, okay? Now, I think the last time he uses it, he's talking more about the third category here, but we're not anywhere near that yet, so. All right, any questions? Everybody? Mine. That's good. You either have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, or you're with me, and I'm <laughs> going to assume it's the it's the, the the former. All right. So we we read that first two those first two verses where he's sending Timothy. Timothy gives his report, and he says, you know quite well. Well, let me uh, go back. Excuse me. He sent to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that, verse 3, no one would be unsettled by these trials. You knew quite well that we are destined for them. Let's stop. Encourage and strengthen them in their faith so that we would not be unsettled. And that word unsettled uh, is used, it's, it's a hilarious word, it was used in the Greek of a dog furiously wagging its tail. It's almost out of control. That's, that's the word he's using <laughs> by these trials. You know quite well that we are destined for them. Put that in your own words. You know that we are destined for them. Paraphrase that. We know we're gonna have trials in our life. Possible? For sure. For sure. Destined doesn't leave any room. It's gonna happen. Now, when he uses a word like that, he's not specific. Trials can take so many forms, so many characteristics. Why? Now, let's think about this. This is really important for me. I want to make sure you understand this. Why will there be trials this side of heaven? Why does he say it's destined, it's a given? There are two reasons.
2: Would it be Satan would not want us to buy
1: into this?
0: One is certainly our enemy. The Bible speaks of our enemy being the world, the flesh, and the devil, but our enemy. That that is going to be a part of this. The resistance, the pushback. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's in rebellion against God. We live in a world that wants nothing to do with God's values, his morals, or his ethical standards. Why else?
1: It grows us.
0: Yes. We can explain why it occurs. It's the fallenness of this world in rebellion against God. But God permits it to grow. And we studied James, I think it was last year or it was the year before. I forget when we studied the book of James. Do you remember verse 2 of James
2: 1? Yeah.
0: Endurance. Yeah. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Because it grows you. Endurance. And you think, and I know we we talked about this humorously, but we step back and say, no, time out, God. I want to sign up for another course. I want to drop this course and sign up for another course. And God says, there is no other course. This is the required course. Everybody takes this course. You can't drop it. I'm being a little facetious there, but, you know, he says this to them categorically. You know quite well, we're destined for that. You're not going to avoid it. So, you know, Daryl used, as he was quoting from the James passage, endurance and perseverance and capacity to hang. Why? Why does, why does our faith grow through trial? Why does issue use some of the words we talked about? Why does our dependence on the Lord grow through trial? Because you learn that you can't
2: solve it yourself.
0: You need somebody bigger than you, than you are, and there's nobody bigger than God. That's right. You learn your own finiteness, you, only, you learn your own weaknesses, you learn your own inadequacies, but there is always the Lord who knows everything. Has your best interests or heart and everything, and trusting him, who else is it better to trust than the Lord? you from there. Yeah. And we learn that. And we, we learn that God takes us through these things, whatever they might be and whatever their nature might be, that when we're on the other side of them, we have learned some lessons. And certainly, almost always, we've learned the lesson of dependence. What if we don't learn that lesson? It's a horrible way to ask the question, but it's a good question. What if we don't learn the lesson? He allows us to go through another curriculum, 102. And then if we don't get, then it's 103, you know, making up the course numbers. And it's maybe silly, but in a way, I mean, God... And it is right, I think, to say God permits these things, God allows these things. They can be sourced in monstrous evil, but God permits them to grow, to grow to grow us. And there is no other way. I mean, there just isn't. There's no other way in God's economy of things. So Paul, in a, in a way, he's reminding them of this. But by extension, because we're reading it and it's God's word, it's directed to us. And, you know, um, that kind of flies in the face of what is on some television programs on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening or whatever. Uh, they're called prosperity theology preachers who are really preaching, just come to Jesus and everything's going to be great and he's, he's going to give you the wealth that you deserve. <laughs> You may have read earlier this week uh, one of those prosperity theology pastors has uh, begun to ask his followers for gifts totaling $62 million so he can buy his own personal jet so he can fly all over the world but he's doing that I mean and you you just you listen to that and you hear that and you say it's hard for me to accept that as truly in line with what Jesus says about faith, about hardship, about difficulties, about trials, it might be good for him to fly on a commercial airliner. Yes. I think I'd be real humble myself, that's the first thing I thought of. He doesn't need this. Okay, I'm just using, maybe I shouldn't use that as an example, but it just came up. Uh, but it, it's that kind of, it's, we are honest, and you know this, but, and I don't mean to, I'm not, I'm not trying to be unkind here, but when you tell people that, you, that just come to Jesus, and everything's going to be good, fine, uh, you're going to get the wealth you deserve, honestly, I think, I want to use a really strong word here, that's a lie. You're selling people a false gospel. And that's, that's not true. God may allow that for some. But that has one degree or another. has nothing to do with the gospel. It's more to do with God's grace and why he chooses in some circles to do that. You're destined for you. So he goes on then. And in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. I'm continuing in verse 4. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I love how the NIV translates that. When I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Are you growing in your faith? I told you what was going to happen. Persecution came. Are you hanging in there? Is your faith growing through this? And he goes on, the end of verse 5, I was afraid that in some way the tempter... Had tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain, our work, our discipling ministry, the time we spent with you had been in vain. When he uses the term "temper" of tempter, excuse me, of whom is he speaking? There, Satan. Satan. That's very clear. The Bible says this many, many times that Satan is the chief tempter, if you will. And what's the best illustration of his temptation work? Christ. Uh, of, of, Christ yeah, of, of, of Christ, yeah, of Christ. Mm-hmm. In in uh, the three temp- major temptations of Jesus after his baptism, after he began his public ministry. And so if you take that truth that Satan did tempt Jesus, which the Bible says he did, does Jesus then know what it's like to be tempted? He does, doesn't he? Yes, yes. He does know what it's like to be tempted. The end of Hebrews chapter 1, uh, 2, excuse me, and the end of Hebrews chapter 4. Both, ver- both chapters end with this thought. He, meaning Jesus, comes alongside because he was in all ways tempted like us, yet without sin. Okay, now let's just make sure we've got the terminology correct here. This is a bunny trail, but let's make sure we got this correct. What's the difference between temptation and sin? Sin, sin is already committed. You got to go through temptation to get to sin. Okay, let's let's nail that down. Let's be a little more precise. Well, you have to act on temptation. You have to you have to do something. Okay, sin it's is it's a sin. response to the temptation. The temptation, in and of itself, is not a sin. So, what is temptation? Really, mm-hmm. I Okay. Let's. I'm gonna be sort of Websterian yeah. here, like I'm pulling it out of a dictionary. It's an enticement to evil. You're being enticed to do what is evil. Very good, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> now I know we've talked about this, but this is this is really. This is really important, and I, I keep this in front of me all the time. Sin evolves like this. And, you know, I don't mean biological. Maybe I shouldn't use the word evolve, but you know what I mean. Sin develops like this. It begins as a thought. Is that sin? Yes. No. 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 A thought is not a sin. Yeah. We are bombarded. I mean, in our very visual culture, you know, we're bombarded daily with all kinds of images that become a thought it's in our mind and so on. What we do with that is very important because a thought can become a desire. Now. Um, there are a lot of synonyms, but a desire where now it's no longer a thought that it could just be a fleeting one, in your mind it's gone, that kind of thing. But you're dwelling on this thought. And this thought is becoming something that is leading to you're obsessing on it, you are dwelling on it, you are thinking on it constantly. And I mean, one of the biblical words, and it is not only in terms of sexual, it can be anything, it becomes lust. Now, that is very, very close to a sin. Because Jesus talks about, if you, in Matthew 5, if you've heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I say unto you that if you have lust in your heart toward a woman, you're guilty. So, it seems like the dividing line is right about here. Because unquestionably, Acting on the desire is sin. That's the act. But the Bible seems to say it's right in here is the danger zone. This is the danger zone. So what you and I need to do is here's where our faith, here's where our dependence, here's where our reliance on the resources of God, the Holy Spirit, to deal with it right here. We must have a strategy and this is our role in the sanctifying process, a strategy of how to deal with this. And that part of that strategy is sometimes I know, I I know from past experience that when I start dwelling on this, this is gonna happen. So I have to develop a strategy of how I'm gonna deal with this thought or how I'm gonna stay out of situations where I know that's gonna come up. And you have to work that out. Because some guys are going to be able to handle certain things that do not bother them. Whereas another guy is going to... just a little sampling of something, and it leads him down a path of where he had been. And I mean, it's all of these things. that We have to develop that strategy. And God wants us to think carefully because that increases our dependence on him. And so as we talk about the faith... Aspect faith is knowing how to respond to temptation, and he is saying the tempter, the tempter is tempting you, (laughs) and you know we have no idea what he means specifically. There's no details here, so we don't know what it might have involved. But obviously, it would have been multifaceted, many uh, aspects of it. You and I face that all the time. Satan isn't particularly concerned about those that he already has. He's already won them. They're already part of his rebellion. He wants nothing more than to embarrass God and embarrass his people by just picking us off. And that's what he was trying to do here. Alright, yeah, uh, Fred.
2: Jim, go ahead. I suggest to you that we need to Develop some tools to to cope with temptation. Whether whether we're going to take that thought out of our mind and replace it with another. Whether we're going to pray about it. Or whether we're going to call our mentor. Yes. We need to develop right. tools. to do That's
0: right. That's right. That's part of what I meant by that strategy. Of right. what what are we? That's right. And um, Woody and I know I know exactly what you mean. You're the only one who knows that. You're, you know when that need is there, what you have to respond to. And I think that's a part, uh, too, of maturity and growth. We, we begin to realize when we need that extra help, when we need to use those tools, that strategy. Yep. Because apathy and complacency in those areas is, is rather self, self-defeating. Well, as,
2: as you point out, we're either growing towards uh, being more Christ-like or we're, uh, we're moving away from him and uh, it's interesting that Paul uses the word fear mm. where we normally think it, it might be a, a emotion or concern of weakness but he has a spiritual, it seems like to me it's a spiritual desire to see these people grow in the Lord
0: very Is definitely it,
2: and so, some of these feelings that we have aren't necessarily bad. They're because of who we are and our relationship with God that we want to reach out uh, and, and to others, perhaps. But also, like you're talking about this, um, I think it's important we will have thoughts. Uh, That come to our minds, but it's it's not that we're sinning; it's that we're in the flesh, Mm -hmm. and that's how we've been made. But we've been made with a Redeemer that is sufficient to overcome that if we seek Him. And uh, I I found that true just the other day when I was on the internet. I was looking for something, and then this they get these sidebars going. And you're drawn to them. And it was, um, it was a, a sexual scene, and, um, but it was an innuendo. And I thought, I'm, no, I'm not going to even look at that because I don't want to, for one thing, and if I do, I'm going to be sorry that I did, and so I don't even want to go there. And uh, it was just funny that I thought, people, we get picked off in different
0: ways oh, yeah. as we go Absolutely. through life, you know. We
2: have to be aware of those
0: situations. Absolutely. That's why if, I don't know if this helps or not, but if if you can think through this, this is the way sin works in your life. It starts as a thought. Here's where we have to be really on the alert. And that's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, be careful what you put into your mind. So that the very first frontline response to how like, is be careful what you put into your mind. And he speaks about things that are noble and trustworthy and beneficial and helpful and praiseworthy, those kinds of things. You gotta process what that means and how that applies and and obviously it is as you come to a class like this and the things that you may be exposed to in your church and so on you're filling your mind with the things of God. You're learning more and more about Him, more and more in terms of what He's like and His characteristics, His attributes and so on, how dependable He is, etc., etc., etc. And as that proactive uh, response on our part, where we are really becoming more and more filling our thought life with the things of God, as Fred just demonstrated in his one comment, as you see things that are clearly not of God, your immediate response is, "I'm going to dismiss that. I'm going to reject that." Instead of exploring how far I can go without before it becomes danger, dangerous, I'm just going to completely reject it. And that's a discipline that you and I have to learn, because it's so easy to take the mouse and just click on that and fall. Oh no! Oh no! I'm caught! I shouldn't have done that. And it's, it's, I mean, every area of life, it's like that. Uh, it isn't just those examples. So it's it's really being proactive in this area of life. And it's if we're not, then this takes over. And I think that's kind of where that line is that becomes really dangerous for us. Jim? I know, I mean, I'm in sales, and...
1: I'm in my car lot, going from one place to another, and keep my mind focused, right? I bounce I between KGBI, uh, bot Radio, and KLOB. Mm-hmm. Because if I if I, cha- I just tested the waters, not, not, but if I go on this other channel, we're all at the top 40, it's, it's about leaving your wife. It's about, you know, love you lost, but you like somebody else. And that's not what you want going in your head. These are songs, you know, back in the 70s and things. So I, I stick, you know, for myself, I stick with all those three things all day. I mean, mm-hmm. I keep it in low. You know, I'm thinking, like, I know where I'm going, isn't it? but I don't want, you know, sometimes I like have it like the radio, but I mm-hmm. don't have it any. Those are the three mm-hmm. areas I go on the radio. It's
0: a great, it's a great illustration of filling your thought. Mm-hmm. Your thought life is dwelling on the things that... Uh, are affirming and praiseworthy you know and that's you have to decide what that strategy can look like when when i was president i traveled a great deal every weekend i was going somewhere and i had to do that because it was very easy for me to get lonely which uh, traveling like that is uh, in sales i'm sure it's the same way i mean it's how i hated airports i hate hotels i mean just it's just it's just a horrible way i know i you guys that do that all your life i did it for 20 years and i Anyway, and you just have you have to you have to find a way in which you can deal with all those things so that the loneliness is not something that overwhelms you. You're you're with the Lord. Those kinds of things are really important disciplines we have to learn. Listening to listening to tapes, listen or CDs now or whatever. The strategy that you we were talking.
2: About. Yeah, yeah, that's your strategy. Exactly, the strategy.
0: exactly. And you you have to develop that. Uh, I think God wants us to do it, but then he He honors that and just keeps filling our minds with the things that are pleasing to him. I love the, the next passage. It's, here's this, this heart and pastoral care of Paul, verse 6. But Timothy has just come to us from now and from you and brought good news about your faith. There's our phrase again. And love. Faith and love are always connected in the scriptures. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and you long to see us. You're saying wouldn't it be encouraging to Paul? Pleasant memories, courage to see us, just as we long to see you. Therefore, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we're encouraged about you because of your faith. Verse 8. For now we really live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord. Let's think about that for just a minute. I love, again, how the NIV does that. For now, we really live. (laughs) Since you are standing firm in the Lord. Standing firm in the Lord. Talk to me about that. Standing firm in the Lord. Yeah, in the Lord. So we
2: talked about last. About when
0: you do something, it's the power of God. And yeah. it's mm. the credit, it's not us. It's not us, yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's a great statement that he's making about these believers. They're standing firm in the Lord. It's Actually, that phrase standing firm is a military term. It's like digging their their boots into the ground. and They're not moving. <laughs> it's another metaphor for faith. These are people of faith. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy you have? Verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly. Now, let me stop there before we see the content of their prayer. When you read something like that, does that, shock you a little night and day we pray for you yeah, did you ever say that to somebody <laughs> pray for me night and day I'll pray for you I mean I, I've never said that to anybody Forever. what does he mean by that This is what I'm getting at, man. What does this tell you about the prayer life of Paul? Constant. It's constant. I don't necessarily think we are to assume that Paul is praying 24/7 cuz obviously he his life is incredibly full and complicated. This is what I think it means. Paul is in a constant communication with the Lord. I believe the New Testament and and to some extent the Old Testament in some of the narratives and Psalms tell us this. But prayer, I mean, there is a time when we set aside each day, even if it's at meals or whatever, but we pray directly to the Lord. Maybe you have a prayer list, things like that. But I think the, the Scriptures encourage us to look at prayer as an ongoing conversation with God. It's just it's this ongoing conversation. You're just you're just continually talking to him, and I, it's that kind of. Um, and I, I'm, you know, I'm in my sixty eighth year now. I'm learning that more now than I did at any other point in my life, and I, I don't know why. To some extent, my wife has has had a, an important influence in my area that area of my life because of <clears throat> excuse me her prayer life. But I say that because just that that ongoing conversation with the Lord where you, you you wake up, and you look out, and it's a beautiful morning. The sun is up. You see the nice, beautiful sunrise, and your response to that is, Lord, thank you for creating that. Amen. I mean, that is a response to God. That's communication with the Lord. Or, you know, you um, you get a letter from someone or an email for someone, and they've just gotten you know, some really good news, and you just take, Lord, thank you for, thank you for taking care of John or whoever it is and making up names. Thank you for meeting their needs. Thank, uh, Lord, help help me to have that same praiseworthy response. You're just constantly talking to him. I think that's what. He, so Paul is saying, every time you came into my mind, I prayed for you, night and day. I'm praying for you. Um, my wife, uh, she, <laughs> since she got sick, she's her prayer, uh, her focus for life has really changed. Prayer is really important to her. She's a real prayer warrior in a lot of ways. But she she is really serious about this. Uh, you know, I'm sure this has happened to you. People come up, would you pray for me? And then they give you three things that they want you to pray for. Peggy, this is my wife's response. I need to know exactly what you want. And she writes it down. Because she won't respond, yes, I'll pray for you, unless she really means she is going to pray for you. I mean, she really takes that seriously. And I've learned. I mean, I've learned from Peg because I used to get people, you know, students, faculty, and others, pray for me on this. And okay, I will. And you know what? About 80% of the time, I didn't do that. But I said I was going to do it because I'd forget it, and I'd, I wouldn't write it down. I would think, and I was, oh, two days ago, John said that to me. What did he? What did he ask me? And I don't remember. And then you kind of say, well, embarrassing. Should I email? Him? What did you want me to pray about? Now you do that sometimes. But Peggy, she is really, she has. She has a little notebook she carries in her purse. She will not say she's going to pray for you unless she writes it down. Now the reason I say all that because my wife takes the prayer very seriously, and so she has this perspective. If you want me to pray for you, I will pray for you very specifically. But then she says. If the Lord brings your name to my mind, I will pray for you. I may not remember the specifics, but I will pray for you. Paul is saying, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Here I think he switches. Whoops. Board. Here I think he switches to this. Because they had to leave Thessalonica early. And I don't think Paul taught them everything he wanted to teach them. So that we may supply what is lacking in your faith. We still have more we need to teach you. So what is lacking in your Christian faith? The body of doctrine that is important. We speak of the Christian faith. What we mean there is the body of doctrine. And we get the sense that that's probably what he's talking about because they have a whole bunch of questions about eschatology, the end times. Because every, that's one of the major themes of these two books, First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. And he keeps filling in the gaps that they're questions. And so I think that's what he's talking about. So I, 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 that's important. That's why in our class like this, I, I, I teach doctrine as we're going through the scriptures i'm trying like we were talking here about faith this is doctrinal stuff it's helping you to understand what the doctrine of faith involves as it's used in the bible so you see what so just a little bit of a change here in what he means by faith then he says now may our god and father himself and our lord jesus clear the way for us to come to you May the Lord make your love increase, overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does. May he strengthen, that's exactly the same word we saw in verse 2. That which buttresses in construction, makes it stronger. We would think to tell you, put rebar steel in the concrete. Your hearts, so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. I told you this several weeks ago. Every chapter in this book ends with an end-time thought. And here you see it. When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones, he's coming back, and he's coming back with the saints. And next chapter, chapter 4, he's going to teach them what that looks like. Jesus, comes back with the saints. That's the theme of chapter 4.
1: John was going to ask you, when Paul started, how old was he? I and mean, then he had the Damascus Road.
0: I mean, was he in it 30 years? or? It, 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 Tom, that's hard. We, we, uh, it's hard for us to know exactly, uh, to put a tight chronology together. But it seems reasonable to conclude that Paul is in his 30s. This Damascus Road experience is in his 30s. We know uh, there's very little doubt that he dies in A.D. 68 with the great persecutions of Emperor Nero. Uh, and so he would have been, you know, roughly 68 or something like that when he was executed. So, yeah, I, everyone that I am aware of, and that I've studied on and so and I've tried to work that out, reasonably he's in his 30s. Pretty young guy in terms of, of Jewish leadership. Yeah. You know, this hardly ever happens. You know, we did a whole chapter in one day. You know, yeah. this hardly ever happens in this class. Amen. But it's not a hard chapter. It really isn't. But it revolves around faith, and that's what I, I really wanted to do. It. Now, next week, this is a. There's a lot in this chapter, and as I said, it here's where he really teaches the, that Jesus coming with his saints. What the, what is that? And you're going to see, there's a word that we're going to use. It's the rapture. And that, that we're going to have to define that. We're going to have to talk about that. But that's what we'll get into to a degree next week. We'll see. I don't know if we'll get... Chapter 4? Yeah, I don't know if we'll get all chapter that's 4. All in, right? Yeah, absolutely. I doubt we'll get the whole chapter. chapter Let me pray here. Father, we're thankful for our time together around the Word today. Thank you for these men. Uh, Lord, my prayer for them would be as we really focused in our class today, in this chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, that you would grow our faith, uh, all of our faith uh, in this room. That is, I still think, one of the most important objectives you have in our lives, to grow our dependence on you, to grow our trust in you, because Hebrews says without faith it is impossible to please you. So, Lord, we we want to please you. Uh, we we want to uh, We want to delight in in your eyes we we want to we want to be faithful to you and we want to represent you and to be men that uh, please you is is men who walk with faith we want to be enochs we want to walk with god help us to do that to your glory and honor help us to represent you well in all that we say and do give us the resources we need to represent you well and help us to personally develop a strategy for holiness, how to deal with our thought life, how to be careful about what we let into our mind and be disciplined in what we reject, that we do not allow our thoughts to lead to a desire which can become an action. Lord, we want to honor you, and we know that life is a process, life is a journey, life is growing in dependence on you. Thank you for being so patient with us that your grace and mercy and compassion inform your relationship with us. And we're very grateful for that. Thank you so much for your love for us. So help us to be faithful as we grow in our dependence on you. May we represent you well in Christ's name. See you next week, man.